0: All righty, hello again, everyone. Welcome to it. It's Friday, glorious Friday, the 19th of January 2024, and we can get to our weekend. Boy, don't we need it! We can get to the Week in F and Review tonight at midnight at patreon.com slash Podcast or DerekHunterLocals.com. Check it out. Sign up and uh, support the program if and you don't mind. It would be much appreciated, very, very much appreciated. And you can enter to win the autographed book by Bo Snerdley. So there you go. It's win-win. Five bucks a month for those kind of chances. Hell, sign me up twice. All right, let us uh, get started so we can get the hell out of here. We've got a a lot of things to get to. There's tons of things. to talk, And I'm looking and I just see this on the Internet and just like, wow, people will buy. I mean, this isn't manufactured to be bought, so I suppose this is a little bit different. But people will buy damn near anything. UK Daily Mail. Sir Winston Churchill's false teeth, which helped him deliver his famous speeches, will go under the hammer for an estimated 8,000 pounds. What is that? It's like ten thousand dollars, somewhere nine thousand. It's whatever. Churchill suffered from dental problems most of his life and lost several teeth during his twenties. These upper dentures, one of a handful of sets made for the wartime prime minister, were constructed to preserve his natural lisp. And there it is, right there. You can. It's one six teeth. I guess. I mean, I guess. There's something about teeth that are in the news today. Because I saw a story earlier. Let me pull this up here. God, imagine this. Kanye West flashes his shock new $850,000 titanium dentures while out with wife Bianca Censori and Chris Rock after getting teeth removed in Jaws the Bond villain makeover. Shouldn't somebody at some point... Stop Kanye West. If he's getting his if he got I don't know that he got his teeth removed, it just seems like maybe he didn't and lied about it or whatever, but the thing that they put in there, people are saying it looks like a gum wrapper. And it does. It looks like a gum wrapper. You look wildly stupid. Somebody should if you're friends with Kanye West, somebody please, for the love of God, stop this man before he I don't know, has himself ripped in half by a couple of trains just as a publicity stunt or whatever the hell it is, I don't know what he would do. I don't know what the hell's going on here, but if you care about the guy at all, for the love of God, you know what are you gonna do this weekend? I'm gonna have all my teeth removed and replace it with smooth one smoothish piece of titanium. You got too much money on your hands. You got too much time on your hands. You got something. Whatever the hell you got. You got problems. My God. Although, if you're going to drive... I'd rather have Winston Churchill's dentures than Kanye West. I thought titanium wasn't... My phone has titanium. I the iPhone 15. It's got the titanium around the edges. Not a whole hell of a lot. Makes it incredibly light, relatively speaking. I mean, nothing's... No phones are really expensive, but... I looked up once what the price of titanium was. It didn't seem all that out of the ordinary. Maybe I looked up the wrong type of titanium. But if you drop 800000 850000 I mean, you got to pay the dentist for the work. But damn. Anyway, there you go. Today's chronicles of people who have too much time and money on their hands. Now let us shift our focus to the people who have too much time and power on their hands and how they go about screwing us, lying to us, and all those other good things. We've got a clip here, Jackie Heinrich from Fox News, talking with Karine Jean-Pierre. She's so historic, that Karine Jean-Pierre. My God, she's so historic. The White House, the story I told you about yesterday, the White House has been lying about the border in every conceivable way. Oh, the border is sealed. Oh, the border is perfectly fine. The border is, what's wrong with the border? What border? What border? And then the story of the three sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens down there at the White House. The White House, when they drowned, the White House put out a press release blaming Texas for the death, blaming the Texas Governor Greg Abbott for the deaths, the drownings. They prevented us from going in there and saving their li- And then they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do anything. And even the Justice Department, as I told you yesterday, the Justice Department, bra- or Joe Biden's, might have Freudian slip, but it might as well be the same thing. Joe Biden's Justice Department in court filings pointed out under penalty of perjury that, yes, they were told about the deaths An hour after they'd happened and it was the Mexican government that was going in to save them. It was not the Americans. Nobody was blocked. Nobody was nothing. Border Patrol wasn't even there at the time. They were an hour away and didn't find out about it until afterwards. So there was no blocking anybody from doing anything. And the White House, after that filing, repeated the lie, which when you knowingly tell an untruth. It's a lie. There's no other word for it. It's, It's pretty unambiguous. It's not like, well, you know what, later on we come to find out. Nope. Or this could be interpreted many different ways. Nope. It was straight up. The administration had said this is what happens in court proceedings. And the opposite happened. And it was Republicans' fault and the state of Texas' fault from the podium at the White House. So Jackie Heinrich points this out and all the other lies at the border. And Karin Jean-Pierre simply doesn't care. Now, as you listen to this, remember how crucified, and, and frankly, justifiably so, to a certain extent, not certainly to the extent that it was harped on, but when Kellyanne Conway talked about they gave facts here, and then we gave alternative facts. Remember that the the phrase alternative facts is still a punchline to this day. The, the left can't get over it. They believe that there are absolute truths. Well, if there are absolute truths, then there's no question whatsoever, given what we know about what transpired down at the border, that Corinne Jean Pierre is lying, that the White House is lying, that they're making it up, that they don't care, that they. They are knowingly telling something that isn't true. There will be no ridicule. Stephen Colbert will not do a whole bunch of dancing bears and a five-minute monologue about how absurd it is and how we're dumbing down this, that, and the other thing. It won't be mentioned at all by Stephen Colbert because he wouldn't want to lose his condo, which, you know, he gets rent-free up the rear end of all the Democrats. Anyway, listen to this exchange between Jackie Heinrich and the historic Karen Jean-Pierre.
1: Why are you repeating this false claim that Republicans voted to reduce the number of border patrol agents, even though the Washington Post gave the administration three Pinocchios for that?
2: So we don't believe it's a false claim. Uh, Our statements were very direct here uh, last year, House GOP, Voted, uh, voted, and not only did they vote for it, but they touted. They touted their Limit, Save, Grow Act. That's the so act. The well, let lim- me- And they, they vowed they, that it would they never limit, affect they, border control they, they, they voted for and touted it, right? This is an act. And this would have forced the elimination of 2,000 border patrol agents. That's what this act that they touted, that they voted for uh, in the House. Uh, so that was their proposal. And and that was so what they, they voted for back in, in May. They
1: they clearly stated at that time that border patrol, um, also veterans' benefits and entitlements would never be impacted by any of the reductions. The, and also the bill never had any appropriations in it. So this claim that you guys are rolling out, yeah. you know, it, it's the White House applying White House math to a bill that never had any appropriations. And moreover, the administration or the. Uh, members in Congress who, you know, put this together vowed that it wouldn't affect the policing. So the reason I, I ask is because it's just, you know, to, to voters, don't you think they know the difference between, you know, what is a, a truthful statement and what is spin? And is it in, insulting to them at all to keep saying it when it was? it's just not true? <laughs>
2: One thing that the president does not do is insult, a vote, insult voters uh, or American people, to be more exact, because I want to be careful.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so they're getting this, that, and the other thing. You're doing it. Well, uh, they, touted, they touted it. They touted it. You mean, they touted a piece of legislation in which they expressly said they did not. It would not do what you're you're saying they do they blocked it they prevented it from well that's different they touted it they tell we decided that it would cost this and therefore it must can you imagine having a debate with that person having a relationship with that person they changed the definition of the. well uh i did not have an affair i just simply went to bed with somebody else and it was different it's not an affair if it was absolutely meaningless and done for purely pleasure. Reasons. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. I, uh, you, you couldn't trust this person as far as you could throw them. You really couldn't trust this person as far as you could throw them. The Washington Post, by the way, did give three Pinocchios for that claim, which is weird. Like It's a lie. The Pinocchio, scale, there shouldn't be degrees of lies. There's, degree, there's degrees of you were wrong. But if you have access to the information, and there's no question White House has access to the information, and you knowingly say something opposite of the information, you are lying. It's not like, well, yeah, you, you lied, but it wasn't that big of a lie. Do you get credit off the Pinocchio scale if you have your fingers crossed? Is there, how does that work? It's a lie or it's not. That should be the thing. The, the, the same with Politica or Politifact saying, like, uh, it's mostly true, mostly false, a uh, big lie. Pants on fire. Well, then, then you introduce a level of personal judgment and bias. If you're supposed to be a fact checker, there should be literally no personal judgment or bias in there whatsoever. It is it is or it isn't. It is or it isn't. Today's job numbers are the best job numbers of any president ever. Well, there's varying degrees. There are some presidents who had it better than that and some presidents who didn't have it as good as that. No. The lie, it's a lie. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 10, because the only other point on a scale of 1 to 10 of whether or not something is true or not is 0 or 1. Three Pinocchios, how does it prevent, how does it not get four Pinocchios? Four Pinocchios is the top. It is 100% false, and they know it's false. Anyway, the fact checker, Glenn Kessler wrote about the idea that Democrats were saying Republicans wanted to get rid of 2,000 Border Patrol agents. Which, by the way, if that's the case, good thing we have a government the way we have it done. that A government that acts slowly and deliberately. If Republicans were doing something or trying to do something that was going to cost 2,000 Border Patrol agents their jobs, as we need Border Patrol agents now desperately... Thank God they didn't do it, right? Bullet dodged. Shouldn't you be praying? Thank God Republicans didn't do this. They did now that they can reintroduce that legislation without that, if that was the problem, which it wasn't. But, you know, they didn't do it. Democrats are actually screwing up the border. If this is true, which it's not what the White House is saying, Republicans would have been putting forward something that would have inadvertently added to the screwing up of the border. It didn't get done. So Republicans then said, oh, my God, what are we doing? Let's stop doing this. Anyway, Glenn Kessler, the Washington Post, wrote, quote, but there's a big problem with this number, meaning the 2000. It's not based on an actual vote of the Homeland Security budget. Instead, it's a White House estimate on the impact of a bill passed in 2023 as an opening bid in budget talks with the Biden administration. When it came to an actual vote for border security, the House in September passed an appropriations bill that funded an additional 1,795 border agents. That was uh, four times the increase, 350 agents, that President Biden had requested in his own 2024 budget proposal. End quote. So the White House says... They want to cut 2,000 jobs for Border Patrol agents. The reality is, the White House only asked for 350 new agents, and the, the Republicans in the House offered funding for 1,795 agents. Not the minus 200 or 2,000, but 1,795 additional, not a net. Not a net, mind you, of 205, the difference between the negative 2,000 and the 1,795. No, an increase. The 2,000 is garbage. Forget that number. The White House is making it up. And you sit there and you go, huh, that's, that's weird. That's unambiguous. That is unambiguous. Unambiguous. That is plain as day, and the White House is straight up lying, and you heard Corinne Jean-Pierre sitting there going, well, they uh, they touted it. They touted a bill. They touted a bill. They touted a bill that did nothing of the sort. You're lying. She's lying. And by the way, did you notice that it was, she was literally incoherent in most of that clip? She's, I'm going to play it for you again, just because pay attention, particularly in the middle, to what Corinne Jean-Pierre is saying here she is leaving words out she's putting words together that don't make any sense don't can't go together when they're put together they don't make any sense she's missing adjectives and (laughs) nouns and she's just missing everything in this you're like what in the hell is wrong with you? it's because she doesn't know this is if you've ever caught somebody particularly a child in a lie and they get flustered they get very flustered they start tossing things out and they but I and they start and they stop and then they start something else and then they stop they are they can't adapt they aren't quick enough the teenagers and younger's mind is not yet formed completely enough and wired well enough to be able to to think that quickly on their feet. Now, Corinne Jean-Pierre is in her 40s or 50s, or whatever the hell she is. She still is not wired that way because she's not particularly bright. Again, pay attention to when... It's while Jackie Heinrich is talking in the middle, she's trying to inject things, and she's just spitting words out, literally spitting words out.
1: Why are you repeating this false claim that Republicans voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents, even though the Washington Post gave the administration three Pinocchios for that.
2: So we don't believe it's a false claim. Uh, our statements were very direct here. Uh, last year, House GOP voted, uh, voted, and not only did they vote for it, but they touted. They touted their Limit, Save, Grow Act. That's the There's act. No well, limit, that. And they, they vowed they, that it would never limit, affect they, Border Patrol. They, they voted for and touted it right this is an act and this would have forced the elimination of 2000 border patrol agents that's what this act that they touted that they voted for uh in the house uh so that was their proposal and and that was what so they, they clearly, voted for back in in may
1: they they clearly stated at that time that border patrol um also veterans benefits and entitlements would never be impacted by any of the reductions the, and also the bill never had any appropriations in it so this claim that you guys are rolling out yeah. you know it, it's the white house applying white house math to a bill that never had any appropriations and moreover the administration or the uh, members in congress who you know put this together vowed that it wouldn't affect the you should... see so the reason I, I ask is because it's just you know to, to voters don't you think they know the difference between you know what is a, a truthful statement and what is spin and is it in, insulting to them at all to keep saying it when it was it's just not true
2: <laughs> one thing that the president does not do is insult vote insult voters uh or american people to be more exact because i want to be careful
0: yeah I never would insult Voters or the American people, especially the half of the country he calls Nazis on a regular basis. No way Joe Biden would ever want to insult them. Since we're talking about wildly stupid people in the political world, you'd like to think, and I was the same way, you think, oh my God, the people who they must be the best of the best, la creme de la creme, they're not. The people that work in government, they're not. You have to, especially for entry level stuff, for the most part, like I say, I've said before, you have to come from money to be able to afford to live in DC or be willing to live with a whole bunch of roommates. Now, thank God there are a lot of people who are willing to live with, you know, five, six roommates. I dated a girl who lived in a house in Arlington, Virginia. It was a huge house. It was a mess of a house, though. You could tell it started off as a normal sized house, and they added onto it probably. Four or five different times, there were areas of the house you had to kind of. You, it was you couldn't get there without like going around different ways. There were stairwells added and things like that. It ended up being I think a, I think seven people lived there. It was a seven bedroom house. They had a sign that they put up there. It had been that way for a long time. It was called the Real World House before the Real World actually came to D.C. And uh, it's it just bizarre. It was just – there was a bridge in that. It was just a mess. They had parties constantly. Everybody, it was known as just like the house you go get hammered in. And people – they still paid a fortune or what I, – I can't remember exactly what it was. But they still paid each of them what I considered to be a fortune at the time, to have one room and then a community kitchen where they all kind of stole each other's food and everything. It was just a mess. Nobody was – once one person wasn't clean, nobody was clean. You know how that when you get that many people living in a room and they're like, well, I'm not doing Earl's dishes. And then it became, well, uh, if, if Earl's is going to leave his dishes laying around, I'm going to leave my dishes laying around. Then you get seven people leaving their dishes laying around. And then how committed you are to being lazy, they'd buy the paper plates. rather Like we used all the dishes rather than just, I don't know, load the dishwashers it's not like they not like doing laundry or something back in the 1800s where you're, i'm not doing your laundry well, well you had to drag it down to the river and beat it on the stone okay that's a, a little bit different than you're throwing your stuff into a machine that does all the work Why don't you throw a handful of my stuff in there while you're doing it? it's completely different same with dishes oh it's such a long arduous process what to open up a door pull out a drawer type thing, put dishes in there, close it and push a button. Oh, you, do we? I'll dial 9-1 and then as you're loading the dishwasher, should you collapse from sheer exhaustion, I'll dial the other one and we'll get an ambulance here as quickly as possible. But when you're dealing with young people, there's nothing dumber than really anybody until they're at least 25. Some people, it sticks around, like Corrigan up here, it sticks around a lot longer. But they just sit there, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to, and there are flies everywhere, and you just got a complete mess, and there, hey, why is there a hole in the drywall in the dining room? I don't know. Okay. Why is the handrail falling off the stairs? I don't know. Eh, all right. You see the same thing in public housing. You get seven roommates together, it suddenly becomes the projects just in a nicer neighborhood. Anyway, you get the idea from Hollywood that really smart people work in Washington, D.C., and there are some, there are a lot, there are a lot of people that work in Washington, D.C., but I promise you it is not an Aaron Sorkin movie. It is not an Aaron Sorkin TV show. It is not even an Aaron Sorkin poem. There's not a lot of walk and talks where everybody is just going on and they there's one person more informed on an issue than the next. And then you know, they're talking in front of the person who, who drives the car and suddenly the Uber driver has insights and those things about this particularly sensitive point of policy more so than the people who do it for a living like, oh, and they all have that light. But it's not that's not how it is. Your Uber driver, your taxi driver in Washington, D.C., is more than likely going to spend the entirety of your ride with an Uhura Bluetooth earpiece in one ear, speaking God knows what language, seemingly having a cell phone plan with unlimited international minutes, having a conversation that both sounds like they're about to kill somebody and... They just heard the funniest joke in the world. They go from laughing to screaming back and forth. They, you might as well not be in the car. They're following where their phone tells them to go, and you're sitting in the back sending text messages about where you're going to go drinking that night. That's Washington D.C. That's the reality of it. It'd make a terrible TV show, or a really interesting TV show, but it is not the way it is presented. I do love. I always go back to uh, how wrong. Hollywood gets it about government in every way, shape or form where they're like, oh, let's here's uh, Judd Nelson in St. Elmo's Fire going, this is Congressman so-and-so's key guy and he's key on this committee and blah, blah, blah. Like there isn't a single member of the House who isn't called speaker who matters in the grand scheme of things. You can get some things kind of done and everybody can get something kind of done, but it's more on the scale of I want to get $100,000 to get a community pool built in my district or something. That you stand much more of a chance to get done. But there is no, well, this bill isn't going anywhere because this insignificant member of the House that you've never heard of is opposed to it. It's just not how it works. But still, some members of the House get more attention than others. I saw Matt Gates running around. On, he's on TV all the time. All the time. And he's insulting voters for uh, DeSantis and for Nikki Haley. You can dislike them all you want or be annoyed with them all you want right now. But if you don't think you're going, you think you can win without them, you're absolutely insane. And he'd said something along the lines of, ah, we can get rid of, for all the Karens we get rid of, there's another Jose or Pedro sitting there going and ready to replace them in MAGA world. And these people are spiking the football in the five-yard line. Nobody, yeah, polling certainly looks good right now. Ten months before an election for Republicans. He said, quote, for every Karen we lose, there's a julio and a Jamal ready to sign up for the MAGA movement. Okay, let's pretend that you do that. You still won't have enough, all right? You still won't have enough. And it's a matter of where does that Julio and Jamal live relative to where does that Karen live. If that Karen lives in Georgia and Julio and Jamal live in California, you just lost big time. You got two more votes that will help you get closer to losing the popular vote by a smaller margin, but in a state that you'll never, ever carry. All right? You need every single vote you can. You can sit there and show me bad polling data for Joe Biden and, and, uh, oh, people hate this and they care about this issue and they love that. Until the cows come home, until they cast a ballot, it doesn't matter. If it's not the issue that moves their vote, whether or not they support Joe Biden doesn't really matter. There are a lot of Democrats, by the way, who are quite content with what's going on at the southern border. They're either ignorant of what's going on or they look at it and they simply don't care. They want more illegals pouring into the country. Maybe they haven't thought it through. Maybe they're mindless drones who simply embrace whatever it is the Democratic Party's establishment says for them to embrace. That could be true. doesn't matter why they do it. That they do, it matters. So if they're sitting there going, well, I, I'm concerned about, I don't think Joe Biden's doing a great job at the border. Or I think Joe Biden is doing a great job at the border. You're never going to reach them. If And there are a lot of people, probably a lot more, I would say, who look at the border and say, this is a disaster. Joe Biden should really get his act together But the most important issue to me is something else. I care deeply about Ukraine. I care deeply about Israel. I care deeply about Social Security, whatever it is, whatever it is that impacts their vote. If everybody agrees with you on an issue, but it's not the issue that the majority of those people vote on, it doesn't matter. It, there are a lot of pro-life people. There are a lot of pro-abortion people who simply don't vote based on abortion one way or the other. They simply don't care. I am personally pro-choice, but you know what? I don't really care. I'm not taken to the streets. I'm not going to do this. I wouldn't sign a petition. I'm not going to get worked up about it, blah, blah, blah. I am 55 years old. I'm not going to get pregnant anymore. Personally, I don't really care. I'm much more interested in the fact that it cost me $80 to go into a grocery store or something like that. Well, you're not going to get that person if you just hammer them with a one-way-or-another-abortion-issue campaign. It's just how it works. So you can read all you want. You can find a poll that shows you anything you want it to show you or anything you need to sleep comfortably at night. But none of it will make a damn bit of difference in the end if it's not the issue that moves people's votes. So when you get people like Matt Gates out there going, we can afford to lose, folks. I don't care. We'll bring in more people. There are a hell of a lot more Karens than there are Julio's and Jamal's. Part of the reason Donald Trump lost in 2020, oh, did I say that? Yes, I did. I know math and I can read numbers. Part of the reason he lost is because he lost a lot of Karens. The white suburban women married well-off They carry Joe Biden across the finish line. Why? Because there's a hell of a lot more from them. Donald Trump made historic gains in the black male vote. That's right. He did. It's still a two or three to one margin of the vote you lost from the white suburbanite woman compared to the black male vote that you gained. You sit there and you have to think about this logically just for a second. You just have to, because otherwise you're going to either be surprised or you're going to go about it wrong. And it's amazing to look, Matt Gates, his district is safe. It's like 70 percent Republican. He, he wins with little to no effort. So it's really easy for him to say, I don't care. Get rid of these people. We can ignore these people. He's never been in a fight for his political life. He campaigns, like he fundraises for it. But like it, but he's never. It's just not a competitive district. He's he's got that. But they all have to fund. Maxine Waters wins with eighty percent of the vote. She still fundraises all the time. She raises a fortune. She pays her kids hundred thousand dollars a year to quote unquote work for her campaign. Her campaign could literally be her driving the streets of her district, which she doesn't live in. She lives in Beverly Hills. Driving her district in in South Central Los Angeles, sitting on top of a truck throwing feces at her voters and she'd still get 80% of the vote. I'd really like to test that theory, but I'm pretty sure she would easily win. Same with Matt Gates. So you look at this situation and you go, oh, all right, well, there you go. Well, if there are, I don't know, let's just make up some, if there are 40 million white suburban middle class women who are inclined to vote overwhelmingly for Democrats and 10 million black men who might be interested in voting for Donald Trump. And so you can tell 40 million to go get bent because you're going to make up the difference with the 10 million? Let's just say you get 10% of each, right? You lose 10% of the Karen vote. That's 4 million. But you gain 10% of the Julio and Jamal vote. That's 1 million. You now have a deficit of 3 million votes. You see how that works? Making massive inroads in certain demographics is great for long term, especially if you can. Sustain that growth and keep it going over time and build on it. That's great. But not if it comes at the, ex- it has to be in conjunction with maintaining what you have and maybe growing what you already have too. There are more Karens than there are Julios and Jamals. Now, if you're just giving a percentage, look, we can get rid of 10% of the Karen votes, so we'll make it up with 10% of the Julio and Jamal vote. You're being lied to. You're being manipulated. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. Maybe Matt Gates isn't bright enough to know that. I don't know. It's entirely possible. It seems as though he spends a lot more time on his hair than he does on learning statistics, but that would be my guess. I'd just point that out, that you can sit there and you can cite poll after poll. Oh, we're doing so much better among these demographics. And if you look at the whole numbers... And all the polls, they are. You go into the numbers of the polls like, oh, Donald Trump is pulling these historic numbers in Hispanic voters and historic numbers in black voters, particularly black men. This is great. Young people, he's doing better. than They don't like Joe Biden and whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you look at the overall poll. And it's, you know, Trump by two. Like, how the hell is it Trump by two? When Trump is making massive gains in these other demographics and it's because those demographics are very small they're very small they fudge the numbers around the margins and the the demographics they don't really talk about the again the carrots the suburban white women he's not doing so great amongst them he's not making inroads amongst them now they vote for screwed up reasons They. Maybe it's abortion, you're never going to reach them. A lot of them vote because they don't like the mean tweets. They don't like the this, they don't like the that, they don't like the other thing. In many ways, the wealthy, liberal, suburban Chardonnay sipper at noon is insulated from a lot of the problems most other people face. The wealthy part insulates them largely from inflation, for example. They still have to pay more. Like everybody else for food and what have you but it's they've got the money it doesn't matter they have the luxury of not having to worry about their own survival or continued sustenance they can just keep on trucking but you need to find some way to try to appeal to them don't you you definitely have to find some way to try to appeal to them because there's Far too many of them for you to ignore. It's wildly inconvenient. It may make some people unhappy. I don't care. But I'd much rather be unhappy now and happy on election day than happy now and smacked upside the head by a giant dead fish. Since we are talking about uh, less than uh, the best among us in Congress, I do have a clip of freshman democrat from florida max frost this is it was a hearing yesterday see republicans are evil and racist and horrible and if you just follow the news you know what it is you can imagine your. you should build your own rachel we need a, a play at home game build your own rachel maddow monologue or build your own joy reed monologue somebody can put on a bowl-cutted blonde wig and do their best Joy Reid impersonation. You pull a couple of words out of a hat and you got to make a a monologue out of, okay, uh, right, every other one of them will be racist. So you have to use this word, racist, then you dig into racist again, you dig in another, you pull out 15 of them, 12 of them are racist, and uh, the other ones are about how horrible white people are, and, and, and you can have no sense of irony as you do it. And Rachel Maddow monologue is really seriously, you want to talk about a conspiracy theorist and and an absolute master in Goebbels-esque omission and spin. She is good. She is good at lying to her audience. There's very few people as skilled as her to take a half-truth to take a half statement, to take a little bit of information, and then to be able to look at the camera earnestly and go, "We have a reputation as a news organization that we couldn't possibly take Donald Trump's victory speech in Iowa live. We it would do damage to our reputation." Where? Where the uh, the the quad at Smith College? Like where? Where is it? That telling that just letting people see for themselves, letting people see something for themselves. Where is that going to be damaging to your reputation? Anyway, Max Frost was a media darling right when he started running for Congress. Why? Because he's a young black man. He's like 26 years old. And he was a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Yes, realistically, what used to What used to be hidden is now a point of pride in a resume builder. There was a time not that long ago when the Democratic Party was not radical leftists exclusively. In fact, the radical leftists were the fringe. They were the minority. There was something called the blue dog Democrats. These were Democrats who were very interested in pro-growth tax policy, meaning not taxing that, maybe not tax cuts per se all the time, but not taxing the hell out of everybody, or anybody, really, and concerned about deficit spending. Can you name one Democrat you've heard in the last 15 years say, you know what, trillion-dollar deficits are unsustainable, $34 trillion in, in debt is unsustainable. We have to do something about it. Have you heard of one? anyone? They used to at least pretend we're going to have to raise taxes so we can pay off the national debt. That was Bill Clinton. We're going to raise taxes so we can pay off the national debt. They never paid off the national debt. I know, Derek, there was a budget surplus. It was a, it was all projected. It never actually came to fruition. People forget that. The, the way that. If you ran your books the way the government runs theirs, you'd be in jail. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who controls Congress. If you ran your company the way that the government runs the itself, you would be in jail for tax fraud, for embezzlement, for everything you can possibly financial crimes you never even heard of. You'd be totally screwed. But the government can say, "All right, well, our ten year budget projection shows that we're going to have big time surpluses everywhere we go." Like, "Oh, all right, woohoo." And then the bubble burst in 2000. Remember, people forget that Bill Clinton left office with a recession. George W. Bush inherited a recession. He didn't spend all his time whining about it the way, Demi- the way that Barack Obama did. Remember, we inherited the worst economy in 50 years ever. We did it and for eight years. For eight years, your policies never once turned the corner on the economy. It's weird because they tell you Trump's policies are going to destroy the economy. Our policies will save the economy. Well, you never had 3% growth at all in any year. The only president ever to never do. Well, we inherited the worst economy ever. You had eight years. How long does it take for your policies to take place? You passed your so-called, it was a trillion dollars, seems quaint now, It was just short of a trillion dollar stimulus bill within six months of taking office. How long did that was supposed to stimulate the economy? That was, remember, the shovel ready wasn't as shovel ready as we thought it was. (laughs) All that spending was rolled into the baseline, which meant it was billed as being temporary. And then since they just have governed by continuing resolution ever since, not actually passing a budget, that spending remained permanent. Again, if you ran your business this way, you'd be broke and in jail. But for eight years, Obama's like, I uh, I inherited a mess. I couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything. Trump's policies are going to ruin everything. And then Trump gets in there. Trump implements his policies and things get better. And what happens? The Obama people are going, "Uh, this uh, this good news is a result of our policies. So for eight years that little seed stayed underground and didn't grow at all. And then suddenly the guy comes in who you told us his policies would screw everything up. He starts implementing his policies and things get better somehow. What is the gestation period that you're your doing? What is the gestation period of this? Because we're back now to all the economic problems and woes, even though Joe Biden implemented his trillion dollars spending here, trillion dollars spending there, his various policies, his economic policies, and the economy's gone to hell again, they're saying, well, this is Donald Trump's fault. We inherited a mess. Why is it that the best growth years we had in the last 12 were under the guy who you promised us would ruin the economy, and the people you promised us were going to save the economy had really bad numbers? How is that possible? They don't want you to think, don't worry, Rachel Maddow will not do a monologue about this. And if anybody starts to give a speech pointing this out, Rachel Maddow will sit there in her little bowl cut hairdo like, we had to worry about our integrity as journalists. So we had to t- really, yeah, your integrity as journalists, your integrity as quote unquote journalist is still intact because you're very effectively hiding the truth from your audience. And that's really what must be protected, isn't it? Your audience must be protected from the truth because should they discover the truth, it will damage your integrity. (laughs) See, I guess maybe they're telling you the truth a little bit, just not in the way they want you to take it. Anyway, back to Max Frost. He is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with... uh, There's so many different bigger. uh, I I could make an anatomy joke different ways. I'm not going to. AOC has a bigger social media following. I'm not going to make any jokes about implants or appendages. And let's just say that there was no IQ transplants going on with either one of these people. But he is a media darling. He gets to go on, he's on MSNBC all the time. He's on with Joy Reid all the time. I'm sure she's. Got a crush on him. I'm sure he's very confused, as the rest of her audience is, by her weird blonde hairdo. But that's beside the point. At a hearing yesterday, since Republicans are in favor of securing our southern border, those bastards. Those absolute bastards. The brain trust over on the left came up with what they thought would be a good idea. And, you know, it takes a special kind of stupid to really think that this is a good line of argument but you you know people live insulated lives people live grossly insulated lives where they just sit around and go you know what you're all is we're all is uh, on the same page we all agree what do you think of this and everybody who agrees shockingly agrees with you So he thinks that they should just, uh, Republicans should introduce a bill to get rid of the Statue of Liberty. Just for a second, before we hear the audio, I want to remind you that the Democratic Party is the party of tearing down statues, right? The Biden administration was just about to tear down a statue of William Penn in Pennsylvania, where he founded Pennsylvania, because they found his history of 300 plus years ago to be problematic that tells you who these people are how many statues were pulled we must tear down that statue who is i don't know it's a well-known abolitionist ah but you know what it's a white guy let's get him down okay that doesn't make any sense let's just do it hey there's a there's a big there's a statue in boston of abraham lincoln being greeted by slaves he freed. It's very symbolic. It's There's metaphors going on. No, nope. It looks like black people are bowing to their white master. we got to get rid of it. That's not at all what it. it is. It doesn't matter. We're too stupid to understand nuance when you're an angry mob. So let's just get rid of it. That happened all across the country. All across the country. They just saw a statue and tore it down. Saw a statue and tore it down. And now you've got these idiots up in Congress going, why don't you just tear down the statue? Well, because you guys bought all the, the rope and the winches and everything. <laughs> but we don't want to. We don't we don't want to destroy history. You want to destroy history. Who was it that was about to wipe out William Penn from the Welcome Center for the state of Pennsylvania? It wasn't Republicans. Anyway. Here is, uh, you might as well call him Jackass Frost. It's Max Frost from the state of Florida. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are. Removing the fabric of America. So I want to know which Republican who supports and voted for HR2 will introduce this bill. He's so stupid. It's it's comedy. It's funny. It's painful. There are words I want to use that we're not allowed to use anymore that I really resent not being able to use them because sometimes the perfect word is the banned word to show how dumb somebody is. And you don't mean it as an insult to other people, just the people that you're doing, but it's like the perfect word that encapsulates it. Let's get rid of the statue, the biggest symbol that tells people to come here. That's not what the Statue of Liberty is, you idiot. That's not what the Statue of Liberty... France didn't go, you know what, on the 100th anniversary of your, your country's founding... Here's something to make everybody that, that says you want everybody to come there. It was a gift. The United States didn't commission the Statue of Liberty. It was a gift from France, right? It was a gift from France. Kind of an important detail. They helped us. We helped them. We inspired their revolution to get rid of the king. Theirs went, uh, spiraled out of control. But, you know, what are you going to do? They always cite the Emma Lazarus poem, The New Colossus. That is on a plaque on the base of the Statue of Liberty, as though it is somehow legally binding. Emma Lazarus, back in 1883, wrote the poem, and this is going to sound foreign to everybody, this sounds foreign to me, wrote the poem as a fundraiser to help raise the money to build the platform on which the statue stands. People see the giant Statue of Liberty and they think the pedestal that it's on is part of it no france just sent us the statue the statue is about a little more than half the height of the whole thing the rest of it is the pedestal they wanted to build the pedestal so they built the pedestal they raised money Imagine that. The government didn't go, well, we'll just take on massive, we'll print money, don't worry about it. And they actually tried to raise money and did raise money to it. And you sit there and you go, how do you raise money with a poem? Look, I don't understand the economics of the time. You could sell books. People bought poems. People bought things. People read back then. Poets could make a lot of money. And so Emma Lazarus wrote the poem that contains the lines are, send me. You're tired. You're poor. Or give me. You're tired. You're poor. Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched red. That's not legally binding. And they didn't. They want to live and breathe free. Meaning free of government, If you want to read it that way, breathing free of government. Socialism wasn't really an issue in 1883. The welfare state didn't exist. So like, oh, we're welcoming people in here. We got to give them. Housing and food and healthcare and blah, 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 blah. No, none of that was a factor when this poem was written, aside from the fact that it's not legally binding. But it is, if you want government off your back and out of your life, come here. Come here. Which they put the Statue of Liberty, it's right near Ellis Island, which was the way station which was where people came over. Oh, we we heard there was a statue that said, come here. No, you heard wrong, but okay, come on in. What are you bring to the table? What? I'm bringing nothing to it. I just want to live here. Okay, no, not interested. Go home. You're sick? Go home. You're missing teeth? Go home. Can you prove that you will not be a burden on society, that you will not be living homeless, that you will not revert to a life of crime because you cannot support yourself? You can't? All right, go home get out. You don't get to go to the United States of America. You want to implement the policies to the extent that they exist enshrined on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty, Congressman Frost, then let's institute the standards that were employed at Ellis Island shortly thereafter for new arrivals and ask the one question, what do we get out of it? And bring about a merit-based system of immigration. And you would end up with 99% deportations at the border. You can figure it out pretty easily. Do you speak English? You don't speak English. Okay. Do you have pockets full of money? You don't have pockets full of money. So you can't speak English. You can't communicate. And you can't support yourself while you learn it. Okay. Uh, Whatever language you speak, here is a document written in that language. Can you read it? You can't. All right. Then you're so you're unable unable to communicate in our language and you're illiterate in your own language and you have no money. Thanks for playing. Your your plane is right over there. Go get on it. You're going back home. You do that for 2 months solid while all these people And back in their villages who were packing up to make the trip themselves suddenly noticed that everybody who had disappeared, who had gone on to the promised land, were starting to show back up back home and all that money and time and effort was wasted. How many people are going to unpack those boxes? All of them? More than all of them? Whatever it is, I'll be content to just keep shipping them back home forever. Forever because you have to have laws. You want to get rid of the Statue of Liberty? How about you familiarize yourself with the Statue of Liberty, Congressman? We'll start there. I'll sign on to that bill come election day. There have been some developments in the world of COVID that I think are kind of important to talk about because we like I say we need to know what happened so it won't happen again. So we can prevent it from happening again. So there will be another pandemic at some point. You need to know what happened in the last few so that you can uh, prevent it. Now, there have been a lot of pandemics. People think, well, there's COVID and then there was the Spanish flu. There's a lot of pandemics in between. They just weren't as bad. They weren't as widespread or as fast spreading or whatever. COVID-19 was sort of manufactured, was manufactured in a lab. China won't admit to that. They don't. uh, They want to pretend that it wasn't. They want to pretend that somehow somebody ate a pangolin and it just went sideways in their their gut. But now the Wall Street Journal reported the other day that uh, the Chinese had mapped the entire virus two weeks before they told anybody about it. Which is kind of important. You, how much work could have been done if they just shared this information? You've mapped it. You know what it is. You know exactly what it is. You know precisely what it is. The more precise the information you have, the better shot you have at combating it. And they, they withheld this. Why? Because, well, if they go, why did you ha- you had this that soon? That it takes a while to map a, a virus. And you had this pretty quick. That's weird. It'd almost be like you were working on this thing for a little while before you let the rest of the world know it existed, huh? But that's not the most disturbing part of COVID. This story from the New York Post. In a Wuhan-esque study, Chinese scientists are experimenting with a mutant COVID-19 strain That is 100% lethal to humanized mice. The deadly virus known as GXP2V attacked the brains of mice that were engineered to reflect genetic makeup similar to people, according to a study shared last week out of Beijing. What could possibly go wrong? Quote, this underscores the spillover risk of GXP2V into humans and provides a unique model for understanding the pathogenic mechanisms of SARS-CoV-2-related viruses, the authors wrote. No, this virus would not have existed were it not for these idiots in the lab messing around with it. The deadly virus is a mutated version of uh, GX-2017, a coronavirus cousin that was reportedly discovered in Malaysia And pangolins in 2017, three years before the pandemic. Pangolins, also called scary anteaters, are mammals found in warm areas of the planet. All the mice that were infected with the virus died within just eight days, which researchers noted was a surprisingly rapid death rate. Isn't that nice? But this doesn't exist in nature. And what did we hear? That COVID-19 was more than likely created... As part of of gain-of-function research, funded by President Fauci at the time. A gain-of-function, in case you've managed to forget that mess, is scientists justifying, trying to get money, whatever. They, They go, you know what, we can mess with the DNA of this virus. We can change this virus that is innocuous right now to human beings. And we can mutate it to the point that it's deadly to human beings. And then we can formulate treatments for it, including maybe vaccines for it, so that if in nature this virus ever mutates in a way that we will have completely bastardized it by messing around with its DNA structure, we will be ready to go. When I first heard that, I thought, well, good, that's actually being proactive. That's that might not be such a terrible thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I have realized just how damned stupid it is. Viruses mutate. There's no question about that. You can sit there. How many different strains of COVID? We got this strain of COVID. We got that strain of COVID. That's a new mutation in the virus. But that virus is mutating so quickly, so rapidly because it was artificially created. All right nature tends to want to return back to where it was nature doesn't like being told what to do you can graft arms onto people if you want but eventually they'll fall off they don't need them it's not that's not what they're supposed to be it's not where they're supposed to be with an arm on somebody's thigh like nah it goes away or it dies. that certainly doesn't get perpetuated. The genetic makeup of a virus mutated in a lab tends to want to go back to where it is. That's why I think, my dime store doctor's opinion, why the original strain of COVID was much more dangerous than subsequent strains. What do I mean? Well, the one that they first manufactured and broke out of the lab had a higher death rate. The longer it's been around now, it's like, well, people are going, it's just like the common cold. It's a little bit more than that, but you get the point. It was more deadly at the beginning. But the virus is reverting back to the, it's close to it uh, what it can get to where it naturally was. They've added things onto it, receptors, and they're, they're sort of evolving themselves out of existence because they're not supposed to be there. But you're making viruses that may never come to be. That's my biggest problem with gain of function. Let's make a virus out of this virus that kills people. That way, if this virus ever changes and starts killing people, we'll have a treatment for it. Well, what if that what's to say that virus will ever mutate in that way? There are literally infinite numbers of possibilities of ways viruses could mutate. It doesn't mutate in infinite numbers of ways simultaneously it's a it's a usually a path it might split every once in a while but in general it just continues to evolve very few viruses have jumped suddenly and unexpectedly, there have been different outbreaks. They're difficult to be transmitted from, say, animals to humans, what have you. But they do. They have. They have been a record. Then they become difficult to transmit between human to human. And they have eventually died out, thank God. But if you're creating something, who's to say it would ever come to be in nature? But you've just created something where they 100% murdered with death rate while you maybe would never consider that. I don't think that COVID was released out of malicious intent. I think it was done in a country that doesn't really have much respect for human life, certainly doesn't have any respect for individuals, not in the immediate inner circle of Xi Jinping. And even some of them he'll kill if they get in his way. And so you don't have a respect for life. You're not going to have the highest cleanliness standards you're not going to have the highest safety standards what do you care if you've got 1.5 billion people what is one life what is a couple what is a hundred thousand what is a million there's nothing it means nothing so you're not going to be as interested in security the double triple gloving and everything. you're just gonna have you know what the odds are you're going to be fine because the odds are you're going to be fine. But the odds are you're going to be fine means that there's a chance you won't be fine. So the idea that we create this super virus, you can't protect it. You cannot contain it forever. You create this super virus because it might come to be at some point in nature in the future, even though there's no evidence that it will ever come to be, that it will ever come to be. You just created it so that you might be able to treat it well. You've wasted a lot of resources for something that more than likely won't come to be, won't come to pass. There are already plenty of viruses that we have, that we know of, that we don't have effective treatments for or effective um, vaccines where you could easily work on. If you find, unlock the key to killing particular viruses, any virus, boom, you can maybe use that. And other things vaccine is just a dead virus, your body's immune system, so treating your body's immune system to kill a virus. But if you could kill a virus it's with something outside of your immune system that our immune system can't do, you, you, you won. But the problem is, if this virus, well, the virus could evolve. The virus absolutely could evolve. But what if it doesn't evolve for 200 years? Where will medicine be in 200 years? Will that catch-all skeleton key for killing all viruses have been created by then? Maybe, possibly. We don't know. We might be able to get there on our own. Maybe there is some sort of cosmic universal plan, call it God's plan, call it whatever you believe, that we tend to be able to adapt to what is thrown our way fairly quickly and over time. Look, at AIDS was a death sentence just 30 years ago. Now it is a, a, a manageable disease. People show zero, zero HIV in their bloodstream. There's no vaccine for that. We adapted. We came up, we developed the medicine. Who knows where medicine will be by the time these deadly viruses, if they ever do come to pass, come to pass. But we'll more than likely be, we'll definitely be more ready for them in 200 years than we are now. If we leap a virus ahead 200 years, we ain't ready for it. We don't have 200 years from now medicine. We don't have tricorders and hypo sprays from Star Trek. We have what we have. The idea that we need to start messing with these viruses, we have enough things that exist today for which we have no treatment, for which there's a death sentence or a massive inconvenience of life or quality of life issue that already exists that we could use these resources on. There has not been a a, a vaccine created through gain of function. There are a whole hell of a lot of viruses created through gain of function. You can't test it. You going to volunteer for that? Hey, we'll give you 50 bucks a visit. We'll have three visits. We're going to infect you with a virus that has never been infected in human. doesn't exist outside of this laboratory. We're going to give it to you. We're going to put you in a Tupperware container for three weeks, pay you 50 bucks a day, and we're going to give you this shot. And we think that you'll probably be fine. We used to give this virus to mice. It killed all of them. And then we started giving this shot to mice, and then we gave the virus to mice, and A lot of them didn't die, so you're probably going to be fine. But we need to study this just in case in 500 years, this virus that up until now had been leaving human beings alone, what if it mutates and suddenly infects humans? We need to be ready so that for 500 years, people don't make plans for the weekend until Friday. Why are we worried about 500 years from now when we have real medical issues and needs? today. well, The fact is, there's a certain point at which you just don't need any more. You can't do anymore. One of the biggest criticisms that the left comes up with when talking about Ronald Reagan, and if you have a conversation with a liberal friend about Ronald Reagan, first of all, I'm sorry, but it is Ronald Reagan, and you see this all the time, documentaries, I mean, Ronald Reagan just did nothing about AIDS. He did nothing about AIDS. People were dying and he did nothing about AIDS. Well, I remember when AIDS came around. He didn't do nothing about AIDS. At the end of his term, he was funding, you know, I think million, a couple million dollars worth of AIDS. Well, that's not enough. It was not enough. What are you going to throw? For the longest time, nobody knew what the hell it was. All right. So the NIH was scrambling around trying to figure out what the hell it was. They thought it was some kind of cancer or something. They didn't know what it was. We did not have the technology we have now to easily spot a virus. And then we didn't know how it worked. You had to find out what it was, how it was transmitted, that it was actually it, and what it did inside the human being before you can. We needed to come up with a treatment. A treatment for what? I don't know what is going on with this thing. So it needed to be studied. Reagan laid the groundwork. If he would have dumped $10 billion on the lawn of, you know, big research incorporated university. They would have taken the money. They would have pissed it away. They wouldn't have been able to do anything more than they did. Nobody was sitting around going, I've got, I know what AIDS is. I know what the cure is. I know what the treatment is. But I just need the money and nobody's giving me the money. It didn't exist until nobody knew what the hell it was. And then, by the way, when the government started spending money on it, a lot of money on it, a lot of that money went for PR to lie to the public. AIDS is an equal opportunity killer. It'll get anybody. Anybody could get AIDS, but there was one particular group of men and one particular act without protection that increased your prospects of contracting it exponentially. The odds of getting it through every other similar act But with different people, we're almost nothing, right? But you could trace back almost every bit of transmission that wasn't from a blood transfusion to somebody who had engaged in a particular unprotected act. But they couldn't do that. They didn't want to bring that up. They didn't want to mention that. They didn't want to quote stigmatize people. And so they told everybody it's an everybody disease. How many calories were burnt? How much money was wasted? Lying to the American public about that. Well, it's because they once they started turning on the spigot, they had more money. And they knew what to do with, it, and everybody got it. And they just once you start spending that money, you start spraying that money around like Jay Z at a strip club. You're making it rain up in there. Somebody will find a way to spend it, to use it, to waste it. That's how government works. Reagan didn't ignore the AIDS crisis. Reagan handled it the way it should have been handled. Nobody knew what the hell they were dealing with. Now they're going, let's just create viruses. Let's see what we can do. Let's create problems to solve that may never come to be. Why? Because we want money. We want more money. We need more money. How about you do something productive? How about you do something constructive? How about you do something important for now? In 500 years, we may all be dead for all sorts of other reasons. The sweet meteor of death may come and take us out. The sun may go supernova. You never know. This weekend, the odds of that happening are pretty slim. How about you cure what we have before you go around creating new stuff? Crazy idea, I know, but just a thought. I've got a a little bit of audio here from CNN. It's not all that little bit, actually, but it's, uh, it's telling. They have a contributor named Natasha Alford. If you've never heard of Natasha Alford, congratulations. You're one of the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Americans, really, who don't watch CNN. She is a CNN contributor, which means MSNBC didn't want her really the only way to get a contract with CNN is for MSNBC to go nah, you're you're too dumb for us which is saying something you know it's an accomplishment it's not something i'd list on my resume at least at the top but somewhere in there you you kind of have to go wow i'm the i've i won you know they don't tell anybody that you won dumbest pundit award but you know a trophy's a trophy you 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 scratch off the what it's for on the trophy and you put the trophy up on the trophy. You're probably too dumb to know that, but that's beside the point. Uh, Natasha Alford does something. I think she's a podcast host for The Griot. If you're unfamiliar with The Griot, The Grio is a, a website that is for black people. Now, that may sound harsh. But it is. That's that's their own that's what they describe themselves as and so you're not really dealing with a website that is broad appeal which again makes sense why you would end up with the uh contract over at cnn (laughs) how do you how do you fail out of the uh cnn contract so the Griot, according to the Wikipedia thing, is focused on news and events that have a unique interest and uh, pronounced impact within the African-American audience. I don't know how news is different for you based on your skin color. You go to thegrio.com. It's founded by Byron Allen, who uh, used to be one of the hosts of Real People. Somehow he finagled that. To being, a, he's now a media billionaire. So, it's about the GRIO, the GRIO is the largest black newsroom in America committed to reporting the latest news, politics, entertainment, and lifestyle uh, content because we believe a well informed community best determines its own interests. The GRIO comes to you with five distinct businesses a website, live events, cable network, mobile and streaming app, and a podcast network are, uh, we want to make you more informed. News has race. News has skin color. You probably didn't know that. But there right there is Natasha Alford. She's senior correspondent and host of the weekly, the Grio Weekly, sorry, the Grio Weekly with Natasha Alford. And they employ, of course, well-known anti-Semite and racist Mark Lamont Hill, the god-awful... April Ryan or the racist Ture, you name it, and they are uh, over there at the Griot. Well, good old Natasha was on CNN earning her other paycheck. And talking about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, see it's, Nikki Haley is a woman of color. I hate to break it to Natasha and the CNN audience, but she really truly is. Now I realize that She doesn't walk in lockstep with you leftists, so she doesn't really count. It's the Clarence Thomas rule. He's black, but he's not really black. What is it that the woman behind the 1619 Project said Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones? Skin folk ain't kin folk. Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? We must get together and bring together the black community. Not with you. Not with you, Uncle Tom. You disagree with what I think the only politics that are acceptable are for somebody with your melanin level get the hell out of here. No sense of irony, no sense of scorn, no nothing. No sense, nothing. They don't care. There's no there's no consequence to being a ridiculous racist piece of garbage on the left except for I guess if you can consider it a punishment you get sentenced to be a CNN contributor. Anyway, Nikki Haley pointed out that the country still has racism because in a nation of 330 million people in a nation where People go on television working for race-based websites. Yeah, there's racism that still exists in this country. I could point it out unironically to Natasha Alford right there. But the country itself isn't racist. And that is not in keeping with the liberal narrative, the liberal agenda, acceptable liberal thought. Uh, What is allowed to occur in the gray matter behind the eyes, between the ears of black people in this country on the Democratic Party thought plantation and therefore Natasha Alford is upset, is outraged. She is a herder. She is a herder. Most of the left wing establishment media, particularly the media of color, are herders to make sure that nobody strays from the acceptable grazing grounds of thought out there. And if anybody does, they are so otherized, demonized, and attacked to the point that other people who maybe thought that they might want to agree with that unacceptable thought or have different unapproved thoughts of their own would either be too afraid to ever articulate them out loud or would simply beat it down, smash it down in their heads like the way that Daffy Duck does to Bugs Bunny whenever they come up in the cave full of gold. It's mine, mine, down, down. Smash that into oblivion so that it stops occurring to people. The impure thoughts. It's weird. The left says, no conversion therapy. It's illegal. But conversion of thought therapy, they all engage in all the time. You're free to think whatever you want. But if you think in a way we disagree with, we will call you racial slurs and we will demonize you and we will make sure you suffer for the rest of your life. Yeah. Ain't ain't freedom grand. Anyway, listen to the And at the end, the Republican on the panel, I can't remember the guy's name. There's like one Republican on CNN. It's that guy. Points out how absurd this is. Now, the rest of the panel, they're all white. There's the one black woman. There's a little bit of pushback from the liberals on the panel, but not much. Because when you're dealing with, it was uh, there were four liberals. One of them was the black woman. One was Dana Bash. can't remember the other two white guys. And then there was a, a white conservative guy. The conservative guy is the only one with the content in the front of his underpants to say, this is a load of crap. The rest of them had literal loads of crap, and they, they don't really push back. They might so, – well, the one guy kind of goes – Maybe that's a little bit of a generalization, don't you think? Very scared to death because he's not afraid of of Natasha Alford. He's terrified of the rabid leftists who run CNN. See, that's how they really keep you in line. They don't have to tell you to keep you in line. They make it known. You can have any thought. It's like Ford and the uh, Model T. You can have any color car you want as long as it's black. You can have, you can want a red one? Okay, no, but you, you can paint it red. You buy paint, it's on your own. You want a white one? You paint it white. It doesn't matter. We're giving, we sell you the black one. What you do with it after that, I couldn't care less. You can have any thought you want as long as it's in liberal orthodoxy. And so the people, even the leftists who are like, this doesn't smell right. This doesn't feel right. The pushback that they give is so minor so as to barely notice. You'll know what I mean. Here you go. You do not deserve to be president
3: of this country if you don't have a coherent, consistent message about race. Mm-hmm. It is just 101, right? If you're going to lead this country through a time of division and partisanship, you have to have a consistent message. And I think this is why people don't trust Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. They can't trust that she actually yes, says what she means is. and she believes, but they, yeah. they can count on her saying whatever sounds good to the audience that she's speaking to. This will not work in a general election. OK, you want to say that America was not a racist country to voters who are in Buffalo. Right. And just saw people killed in the top shooting or in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, all of these voters are out there and they want to know that you are going to tell the truth, but also that you have a message of hope for the future. Flip flopping on that. Does it earn you any respect? Especially on this issue. Especially just just one note in case people missed it. Her campaign later yesterday put out a statement that said America has always had racism. But America has never been a racist country. That's even worse. (laughs) Why? I mean, it's just, it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. And again, we cannot trust leaders who don't actually have a vision around this, right? People are, are tired of the division. They are tired of the sort of pain and gaslighting around racism. And so if you come with a message that says, you know, we're not racist, but, you know, I had a couple experiences with racism, but it's just not cohesive, it's not coherent, and it undermines any sense of belief that this person actually stands on what they believe.
0: I would...
1: At the same time, I would venture that I don't know anybody in the Republican Party who would give that different of a message. In fact, Ron DeSantis agreed with it last night. I think Senator Tim Scott has said similar things. uh, Noted Republican... Vice President Kamala Harris has said this is not a racist country when she and uh, Tim Scott had a conversation about this a while back. I, I do think you can make a distinction between saying an entire country is racist versus saying that there have been individual people or moments of racism.
0: Yes, you can. There was an individual in that clip who was a racist making broad generalizations about people and their skin color. And other people scared to death until the last guy to even push back mildly about it. Yeah. You see the irony there? This is how the left operates. The thought police operate. Every group has them. Every group says they're the same sort of mentality of those herders in the Hispanic community. They're the same type of herders in the gay community. The idea, and I fall prey to it too, the idea of community, community, community. I've said it before. I'll say it again because it bears repeating because it's a universal truth. The idea, the concept of community has been so bastardized. There's no black community. There is no gay community. Community is the immediate area in which you live. It's made up of all sorts of people. When I was a kid, I would find matches and we'd play with matches and we'd find fireworks and get our hands up, firecrackers. We were afraid that somebody in our community would spot us and call our parents, tell our parents, and we'd get in trouble when we get home. That's why we found places where we could do things that, you know, could light off, blow up G.I. Joe dolls by taping some, some M-80s to them and stuff like that. Set little fires and burn models with that glue that burns. That was a sense of community. They saw us doing something dangerous. We weren't their kids. It's tempting. It's easy to go, whatever, and break their neck. But they're not my kids. What the hell do I care? A sense of community is, is hey, kids, knock that off. I'll tell your parents or I'm going to tell your parents or whatever it is. And you will find out, like, who told? Who ratted? Who found it? That was it. Everybody kind of looked out for each other. That's the sense of community. To the left now, community is what sort of immutable, irrelevant characteristics do you share with somebody? That's the community. You're supposed to identify with somebody not because you live near each other, not because you have similar interests, not because you have similar you shop at the same store, you have kids go to school together, you live next to each other. No, it's because somebody has the same skin color as you. Somebody has the same sexual proclivities as you. It's a bastardization of the word. They would much rather you... Be a member of one of these irrelevant characteristic communities and identify with somebody who lives on the other side of the country than they would you identify with somebody who lives next door to you who does not. An example is if you're gay and you live in a neighborhood here in Maryland and uh, there's some something that's billed as a hate crime out in Oakland, California. Horrible example. Some gay couple was beaten up because they're gay. Provided, of course, maybe Oakland's a bad example because the perpetrator probably wouldn't be somebody of interest to the media and the hierarchy of liberalism they wouldn't ignore. Let's put it in, uh, let's put it in San Diego or Vegas, Gay couple, beaten up, harassed, whatever, and somebody used a homophobic slur. The liberal media, the liberal establishment, would much rather you care deeply about that, be offended by that, be outraged by that sickened by it, take to the streets over it, in in your own neighborhood where it didn't happen, 3,000 miles away from where it did happen, if it indeed happened at all. A lot of times these stories evolve over time, but for the sake of this hypothetical, we'll say that it did happen. They'd much rather you take to the streets over that than if your straight neighbor were beaten up and robbed. right? If a gay couple were beaten up and robbed in Vegas, take to the streets if you're gay. If it was a straight couple... Meh, who cares? Especially if they were white. It's a perversion of I it. Mean, you wonder why, you know, a lot of people move into neighbors, and I'm guilty of this too. I don't talk to my neighbors all that. I talk to the immediate neighbors, wave to them, whatever. The ones with kids, the age of our kids, they play together occasionally, but I never think, let's invite so and so over from this house and we'll grill some burgers and sit in the backyard. Never in a million years does it occur to me. The only way it occurs to me is that is thinking it doesn't occur to me. That's just me. I'm an antisocial person. But in general, the left would much rather you identify with people who share irrelevant characteristics with you thousands of miles away than the people who are in your immediate neighborhood. Is that a sense of community? Does that jibe with how you grew up? I doubt highly it jives with how you grew up. But when you are in the process for political purposes and to your political advantage rewriting the dictionary word by word, you're not allowed to let facts get in the way of a good story. and You're not allowed about at all to be deterred by something you're doing, no matter how destructive it is, because you'd, you'd actually have to give a damn about people and not your own political power for you to be bothered by such things. And uh, our friends on the Democratic side are unburdened by that concern. And that is about enough, I say. I think we should start our weekend, and I can go and get ready for the weekend effing review, which is going to be lit. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or dot Check it out if you don't already. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. I'll see you later.